Hello and welcome to episode 50. That is right, episode 50 of the Batflip Crazy podcast, where you'll always find enthusiastic, data-driven fantasy baseball analysis and strategy 50 episodes deep on the podcast, which I have thoroughly enjoyed. I hope you um, have uh, gained some insight and knowledge, or at least enjoy the podcast. It's pretty crazy. We started in June, so we're, we've been doing it for, or I've been doing it for about a half a year, um, and we are already on episode 50, and um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. So thank you everyone who has, who has been listening for one episode or all 50 I greatly appreciate um, all of you, so thank you so much. Uh, Today's episode, we are going to cover Matt Chapman, Michael Conforto, and then we will have a redo, or not a redo, that sounds like we're going to redo it. Um, We are going to, uh, I have also posted the Trevor Bauer uh, profile from um, episode 35. Uh, MG Brown, 83, left a very nice review and rating for the podcast. And so was able to select three players to be profiled. And those are the three people he selected. I had already done Bauer, so I just put that profile uh, in this episode. I also cover strategy in non-trade leagues uh, for uh, at Kevin Bitter, who also left a rating and review uh, for the podcast. So thank you very much, Kevin. Uh, Very thoughtful review. Really appreciate that. Hope you find uh, the strategy uh, and insight that I provide helpful. It is certainly not uh, totally comprehensive. And so if there are uh, things that anyone on the podcast disagrees with, agrees with, or would like to add, uh, definitely hit me up on uh, Twitter so that other people can learn uh, from you as well. Uh, Coming up on the next podcast, we have um, a uh, Max Freeze inspired podcast that will be Jose Martinez, Hunter Renfro, uh, Mike Miner. Uh, So that should be a lot of fun. Also wanted to give folks a heads up. I will be uh, on the Fantasy World Order podcast uh, with Pat and Joe, um, who have also been on on this podcast. Uh, That'll be on Thursday. I'm not sure when the show will drop, but it is going to be a first base preview. And and based on the show notes so far, it will be fairly uh, extensive. Uh, Not expensive, extensive. It'll be free, uh, but it will be extensive. Uh, So definitely check that out. Um, as always, if you like what you're hearing, please do leave a rating and review. Uh, for folks who leave a five-star rating, just let me know and you can choose one player to be profiled on a upcoming podcast. If you leave a rating and review, you can select three players uh, to be profiled on an upcoming podcast or a topic uh, of your choice similar to uh, the strategy and non-trade league. So if you like Uh, that particular segment, please um, leave a rating, a five-star rating and a review and let me know which topic you'd like me to cover. Uh, Hopefully uh, you will, you will all find those helpful. Um, So you can follow me on Twitter at batflipcrazy. That is definitely the best place to reach me and to engage on Instagram at batflipcrazy, Facebook at batflipcrazyfantasy. On YouTube, just search for batflipcrazy and the blog or the website, I should be calling it a website, is batflipcrazy.com. Let's get this party started. First up on tonight's podcast is Matt Chapman, third baseman for the Oakland Athletics. Uh, In the 10-2 early mock drafts, he went in an average draft position of 846 Since then, he has fallen a good amount, down to 101.6 in the 34 uh, NFBC 
uh, drafts that have taken place so far. Minimum pick of 75, a max pick of 134. Chapman had his first full season last year, 616 played appearances, 145 games played. Batting average at 278, although that did come on a 268 expected batting average. A lot of that was the result of him outperforming his expected home runs. Um, but I think one one key thing to note is that Chapman obviously improved tremendously and, and went well beyond expectations with his batting average. And that's supported by a big drop in strikeout rate and an increase in his contact rate, both in uh, inside and outside the zone. Uh, but it's important to note that even with those, he was still a 278 hitter and 268 according to expected average, and that'll factor a little bit into what I what I kind of think about him going uh, going here. So just something to think about. Uh, as I mentioned, his K rate dropped about four and a half percent, which is obviously terrific, all the way down to 23.7 percent. Uh, that is um, with a um, uh, that is slightly worse than league average, still 22.3% is league average. His contact was better than league average, though, both uh, overall and inside the zone, 78.7% and 86.7%, up 5.5%. And that is obviously a really good sign uh, for a young player. Uh, so on the batting average overall, you know, some really, really nice progress. But important to note that while he's better than league average um, in terms of the average that he's providing, it is not... Uh, anywhere close to elite. It'll help you a little bit, uh, but not a ton. Uh, OBP, 356, 347. Expected OBP, very solid plate discipline for Chapman. 23.3% O-swing after 27.5% last year. This is something that he was known for coming up, um, and he has shown it so far, although the walk rate has been slightly uh, above league average, not necessarily uh, the elite... um, type of walk rate that you would expect uh, with that type of O-swing. So maybe there's a little room for uh, improvement there, but all around a a solid uh, 356 OBP um, this year. Helped out a lot by that improved batting average. 100 runs scored this year, 16.2% runs per plate appearance. He batted a lot of the second half in the number two spot for the A's, which is not a bad position to be in uh, with Matt Olson, um, Jed Lowry, and... Um, uh, Chris Davis uh, hitting behind him. So the run total is really nice. I would anticipate that that will be strong. 16.2% in terms of run per plate appearance is a little on the high side, I think, um, for me. So maybe a little bit of regression, but a really solid run uh, run score this year. Again, I think it's important to note because the contact rate was so big, the increase was so big, and that wasn't necessarily anticipated, that if there is any slip, in that, you could see him return to kind of later on in the batting average, 6-7, um, as opposed to at the top of the lineup, um, assuming that there, there could be, you know, a dip in contact. But, you know, again, his contact just surged throughout the year, and it really held steady. So don't bank on it. Uh, just something to note, I think, when it comes to where he could be batting next year. 24 home runs, 19.8 expected home runs. So he did outperform uh, that expected home run tile but total by a decent margin plays in a difficult park uh in oakland another thing to consider um but you know this was the one area i think where there was slight disappointment i think folks thought that especially with the increase in contact that you might see um you know a a nice you know 30 plus home runs from chapman it's certainly possible in the future but 
both the home run total and the underlying metrics don't necessarily support that yet. So the 19.8 expected home runs. His hard hit rate did go up uh, 7.2%, but his ground ball rate also went up 7%. And so that, I think, impacted the home run total, obviously. It obviously, I think, helped his BABIP a lot, which we'll see in his detailed batted ball profile. So something to note, you know, increase in contact, increase in ground ball rate, increase in hard hit rate, but not necessarily at the launch angles that we want to see. His expected home run per fly ball rate, 12.5% this year, 13.6% last year. Uh, It was 15.2% in real life, not expected metrics this year. Uh, So, you know, the the underlying metrics, as we'll see, are pretty much league average, 37.3% hard hit fly ball rate. Uh, that is right on with league average. 37.3% hard hit pulled fly ball rate. That is slightly better than league average by about 5%. His barrel total did dip this year down to 5.8% from 7.4% last year. So again, not necessarily making uh, the same level of elite uh, contact in the air um, as he did last year. Is it possible that that could return? Most certainly. He's still a young guy. We could see a big jump in power now that he's established Uh, better contact skills, Uh, whether or not that will happen or not. Obviously, that's something that you have to to think about and and decide which which side you want to be on in that argument. Uh, RBI is 68, 11% RBI per plate appearance, a little low, um, I think, for uh, both, um, you know, the the decent amount of power that he had, the position in the lineup, and um, batting average. So, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of a bump in his RBI, total a little bit of a dip in his runs but i think all in all the uh 168 runs plus rbis that he scored this or that he produced this year uh, looks about right um overall 369 woba 347 expected woba so you see the impact of the uh expected home runs in the in the discrepancy there only one stolen base uh in the last two years so about 326 opportunities to steal a base um, and he has only attempted, uh, uh, he's only success, been successful once. He was on one for three this year on attempts, even though he's pretty fast, 28.7 feet per second and 28.3 feet per second. So maybe just not uh, the quickest guy in terms of his jump. Let's take a look at the, um, uh, the detailed batted ball profile. Uh, while I do that, you know, looking at him, I think one of the things that kind of limits my interest in Chapman is that where he produces uh, isn't necessarily that special. Um, And the two areas where he doesn't produce strongly, I guess, uh, batting average and stolen bases are the two most valuable categories. And so when I'm drafting, you know, in the top 100, which, you know, he's 100-ish, right, at 101, I'm really looking for guys in particular who can provide me with um, you know, a lot of average uh, stolen bases, at least a little bit maybe, um, but particularly like at least some elite production and maybe the RBI and home run totals. Um, and so that I think limits my interest in Chapman overall. But let's dive in to the detailed batted ball profile. Some uh, good movement here in terms of his pop-up percentage, it dropped by 7%, still better than league average at 20.4%. Again, the, those are the like automatic outs that fall for hits 1% of the time or so. Um, His hard drive rate dipped uh, by uh, 2.8% from 15%, which is a really solid number, down to 12.2%. Still better than league average, but a dip there. 
Again, you know, not necessarily making as much hard contact at the right launch angles as before. Where we saw the major increase for Chapman, one is in his ground balls uh, percentage. And through X stats, again, those are high Babbitt ground balls, not necessarily your ones that are hit directly into the ground. He had a low rate of dribblers, uh, 17.1%, 24.6% is league average. So that's really nice. The ground ball total was at 21.1%. Uh, that is a um, uh, that is an increase of uh, 9.1% from last year. So a lot more ground balls. His line drives were also up 3.1%. So it may be that some of those line drives may you know end up being hard drives next year. That's definitely uh, certainly a possibility. But again. You know, overall, the dip in hard drive percentage um, aligning with some really nice, uh, a nice dip in his pop-up. Uh, percentage value hit rate was up overall 10.6% this rate this year, about 3% increase, and his poor hit percentage was also down 1.5%. So the impact of that was about a 60, was a 63% jump in his expected BABIP, which was 335. So that's just one thing to remember. If some of those ground balls uh, do end up turning into... Um, uh, uh, back into fly balls um, or pop-ups. Um, if you start seeing the ball into, into the air more, that will definitely impact um, his uh, BABIP. Uh, taking a look at his rolling averages graph, I talked about the uh, contact rate. Just really nice. A little bit of a dip in mid-season, but really surged towards the end. Upwards of uh, 90% Z contact over a 40-game rolling average. That is obviously really nice borderline elite from Chapman, which is very, very uh, unexpected. But, you know, once once you show it, you own it. So that is really nice to see. That did coincide with a uh, increase in ground ball rate uh, up to um, about 46.6%. Uh, so that would be a significant increase um, in ground ball percentage. So just something to consider is, you know, was he going uh, for a more contact uh, you know, uh, approach? Was he focusing on contact? Because over that same period of time where um, his, his Z contact kind of maintained steady position around 90%, his hard hit uh, rate also fell down, although still better than league average. So that is nice. Um, so uh, O swing, very consistent, under 30%, uh, down um, around 25% for his two-year uh, two average, which is really, really nice to see. Um, again, likely to bat second in the A's uh, lineup. So overall with Chapman, I think that, um, you know, I just can't get super excited about Chapman. Um, if he were to show a little bit more power, um, if he were to have shown a little bit more power last year in his first full stint in the big leagues, I think I'd be a little bit more excited because I think uh, you could see, you know, both the higher home run total then also higher... Um, higher counting stats as well, because again, he's not producing great totals in both batting average and stolen bases. He's not hurting you in batting average, but 278 and then a 268 expected average. It's not necessarily something where you're going after him to help help your batting average. So I'm probably not going for him. Let's take a look at the five player, five hitters ahead and behind him. Ahead of him, Jose Peraza, uh, Shohei Otani, Victor Robles, Scooter Gannett, Justin Upton. So you can see, like with a guy like Justin Upton, he's th- he's shown uh, 30 home run power. He's stealing you 10 bases. He's shown you the ability to score 100 runs and drive in 100 RBIs. Um, and then the batting average difference is going to be, you know, 
10, maybe 20, 20 points. Um, so not huge. Uh, so Upton, definitely a guy I like more. Scooter Gannett, similarly, I mean, really high batting average, um, playing in a really nice park in a really solid and underrated lineup, I think, in Cincinnati. Um, he's a guy who, outside of stolen bases, I think uh, is, is going to be a pretty similar player uh, to Chapman. Um, he will hit, you know, similar amount of home runs probably. Uh, Victor Robles, a guy that I've mentioned liking a lot uh, in the past just because of the prospect pedigree. I think the Nationals have shown that they're willing to steal bases, and I just think that he, um, uh, I think there's a lot of value to be made on those stolen bases for Robles. Otani has obviously shown uh, a lot more power than Chapman. Questions around his playing time, obviously, and we'll, that hopefully those will kind of clarify a little bit as we get uh, closer to the season starting. Praza, a guy with a lot of speed as well, uh, decent batting average, really nice contact skills. Um, you know, so I'd probably go Peraza there. Muncie, a guy I think uh, similar to Chapman. He's obviously shown more power than Chapman has, but he's also there's also the definite possibility that he's going to get uh, platooned uh, against lefties. So, um, you know, I, I wouldn't take Muncie there. Smith, Malik Smith, Jonathan VR, Travis Shaw, Josh Donaldson, Joey Gallo going behind him. I, you know, with both Smith and VR, you're, you're, you're buying the speed, and I think the speed is going to get you value from that position probably. Um, I think they, they both have their own kind of warts, um, but uh, two players that I would take ahead of Chapman. Travis Shaw is a guy that I really like heading into next year. I think he's due a little bit of a bump in batting average um, uh, because of uh, some, some lack of luck in his BABIP. Uh, has hit 30 home runs, so he's shown that power. May get platoon split, but he's also got the dual eligibility uh, he's in a great uh, Brewers lineup in a great park, um, and he actually has stolen at least some bases uh, over the last two years, and so he's a guy I would like more. Eloy Jimenez, again, you know, I think he's going to be a better hit- hitter than Chapman even in his first year. Donaldson has been a first-rounder in the past, depending on the level of risk you're willing to take. Um, he could be a guy I'd probably go Donaldson over Chapman just because the upside is so much higher. Um and and uh, and I really like the fact that he's going to be batting around Ronald Acuna and Freddie Freeman. And then, um, you know, jo- Joey Gallo obviously has the tremendous power. The batting average is a drain. He's not really going to steal many bases probably. So um, not necessarily a guy I'm targeting where he's going. So Chapman overall, um, you know, is a solid guy. The, the profile is solid. I just don't think it's, um, it's not uh, the floor or the ceiling isn't high enough, I think, for me to justify picking um, him around pick 100 and particularly in the batting average and stolen base department. So I will probably pass, but, um, you know, some really good progress for a young player hopefully takes the next step, uh, in 2019. Next up, we have Mets star outfielder, Michael Conforto, uh, going at an average, uh, draft position in the two early mocks of 98, uh, he has fallen down to 109.4 uh, in the NFBC draft so far with a minimum pick of 63 and a max pick of 144. Uh, Conforto was coming off a uh, shoulder, I believe it was a shoulder dislocation, um, I want to say, whatever it was, a, a pretty sig- a very significant injury. I actually stayed pretty much away from Conforto. I had one share of my eight teams because he dropped ridiculously low um, because from a lot of uh, injury experts, they were concerned that this would be a reoccurring injury and just not sure if he would ever get back to where he had been. And for a little while, he really struggled. But um, in the second half, he took off. 
believe he had 17 home runs uh, in the second half. Um, and so that uh, has boosted his stock once again, although not uh, to where it was um, or it would have been had he uh, maintained his health throughout 2017 and not uh, not injured himself like he did. 638 plate appearances last year, 153 games. He hit 243, but his expected batting average was 257. Uh, his BABIP dropped by um, 30 points from 328 last year to 289 uh, this year. He also uh, overperformed expected home runs, so a lot of bad luck on balls in play for uh, Conforto is what it looks like. His skills are all very, very stable. Um, the contact skills uh, and um, the plate discipline skills, which we will get to in a second. Um, right around league average, slightly above in terms of his K percentage, 24.9%. Uh, his contact and his Z contact were both uh, pretty steady, 73-74, 83-84 the last two years. Um, so no glaring weaknesses there. Everything looks like it lines up. Um, and that's also nice to see is despite the injury, he was able to maintain a pretty consistent approach at the plate and contact skills. Uh, OBP, really solid. Uh, 350 last year, though the expected OBP was 362. That comes after a 384 OBP in 2017. Walk rates above 13%, 13 and 13.2% the last two years. Really nice. Swing percentage and O swing also very stable. A lot to like there in the profile, given the nature of the injury that Conforto suffered. He's been able to maintain the same level of contact and the same approach um, at the plate, although uh, some of the outcomes have, have certainly been different. From a runs uh, perspective, 78 runs he scored. Um, this year, his run percentage was only 12.2%, so below league average. That's pretty surprising given uh, the well above league average OBP, and the fact that he hits in the middle of the Mets lineup. The Mets lineup is not the best lineup in the world, but still a little bit surprising for context. Last year, when he was hitting leadoff, so important to note that, um, he did have 72 runs with a 16.4% runs per plate appearance, 13.1% uh, is league average, so you'd at least expect him to do um, that. Right now, roster resource. I'm not sure I agree with the lineup that they put together, but right now they have him batting cleanup. Um, uh, with uh, Robinson Cano, Todd Frazier, and Brandon Nimmo in front of him. I just don't know about the Frazier pl placement. Um, Wilson Ramos, Jeff McNeil, and Ahmed Rosario, the three behind him. Um, and so, you know, not the best lineup, not the worst lineup. Um, I would love to see him batting maybe um, uh, third with Cano moved up to second, uh, but cleanup spot also seems a uh, very reasonable placement, maybe moving uh, McNeil or Rosario up into the number two spot. Uh, we'll see. Uh, still a lot to be determined there, but just something to consider in context. I would expect the runs per plate appearance to go up uh, for uh, Conforto next year regardless. Home runs 28 uh, last year after 27 um, in 2017, but that came in 440 plate appearances as opposed to the 653. The 28 home run total is nice though. 24.8 expected home runs. Again, the shoulder injury, one of the major concerns was that the power just wouldn't come back. And while it didn't come back at the same level necessarily uh, that it did in 2017, um, it, um, it was very solid. 28 home runs is nothing uh, to sneeze at. And I think, there's, I think there's more as we'll see in a second. His uh, home runs per plate appearance dropped from 6.1% to 4.4%. Expected home runs per plate appearance from 59 to 
His hard hit rate dropped by 6% um, as well, and his ground ball rate up rate went up by 6%, um, including a, a real spike towards the end of the year. So that's my major question for Conforto is that spike towards the end of the year. was Did he just get tired because of the shoulder? What exactly was going on? Because we saw a big drop in hard hit rate and a, uh, a spike in uh, ground ball rate. So I'm I'm... For me, I think it's just uh, probably the shoulder got tired or um, he just kind of waned towards the end of the season as the Mets uh, uh, playoff, um, well, they were out of, out of the playoffs for a while. So just something to, to think about. We'll get we'll cover that in the rolling averages, though. I won't get sidetracked as I tend to do frequently. Uh, expected home run per fly ball rate was 17.5% after 26.4%. Uh, last year. The interesting thing about this is that his hard hit fly ball rate actually went up 48.6%, a really solid number after 47.5% uh, last year. And his hard hit pulled fly ball rate also went up by 10%, 33.3% from 23.4% last year, but his barrel rate fell to 5.8% from 7.5%. And so that's really, again, where you saw some of the velocity drop was on balls that were hit in the air. RBIs, 82. Um, last year, 12.9% RBI per plate appearance. That's down from 15.5% in 2017 when he had 68 RBI. Again, if he bats cleanup, uh, especially with the hitters that are in front of him, Nimmo, an OBP machine, Cano, very nice hitter still. And then depending on who they put in the two spot, um, I, I would expect him to have uh, a nice number of RBI if he's able to stay healthy. And then his WOBA and expected WOBA, 342 WOBA, but a 362 expected WOBA. It's kind of the opposite of Matt Chapman, who we uh, who we covered in the last uh, profile, where Chapman overperformed um, his uh, his expected WOBA and uh, Conforto underperformed. Conforto has stolen seven uh, bases in the last three years, um, so don't expect a ton from him. But we, he will get you a couple probably, and he. His foot speed is better than league average, 27.8 feet per second uh, last year. When we dive into the detailed batted ball profile, we, we, we can see um, uh, some of the impact uh, uh, that took place, I think, because of the shoulder. Uh, Conforto is still very young, uh, very promising player, and um, you know some of the trends are just a little, uh, they're a little too dramatic uh, to be anything other than injury from my perspective. Uh, pop-up percentage. Um, 16%, that is a three-year low, which is really nice, 2% worse than league average. But his hard drive percent dr uh, dipped by 6%. It was at a very elite 19.9% last year, down to 13.9%. Still better than league average, but not you know one of the best in the league, which he was last year. Uh, and then his dribbler percentage increased by 3% to 26%. So those are those bad ground balls. His ground ball percent also in, uh, increased by uh, a little over 4%, so hit a lot more balls uh, on the ground. I did a little bit of um, uh, a little bit of a, a additional research uh, on Conforto, just looking at from half to half how his exit velocity, uh, both overall and then on balls above uh, zero uh, degrees of launch angle, what the exit velocity was. And he did see uh, about a one mile per hour gain uh, from the first half to the second half on both types of batted balls. So I think you saw with his home run numbers that some of that, um, some of some of the power started to return towards the end of the year. And I think again, that's why uh, there are there is a reason for optimism. I think with Conforto uh, this year, 
Let's take a look at the rolling average graph, which I mentioned. Improvement in contact um, towards the end of the year, which was a really nice to see um, from him all the way up uh, better than league average in his last 40 games at 86.4%. But again, that coincided with an increase in his ground ball rate up to 45%. That's not horrendous, 45%. It's slightly worse than league average, and he does um, have an elevated home run for fly ball rate because he hits a lot of the balls in the air hard. And so it's not the worst thing to happen, but uh, to give you, but he was about 10% um, better towards the second half of last year uh, in terms of his ground ball rate. It was at 35% um, over his rolling 40 game averages um, there. Oh, actually, I'm looking at his 80 game averages. So uh, let's take a look at that 40. Sorry about that technical. Uh, difficulties and see if anything changes there. Uh, the ground ball rate was a little bit more elevated over the last 40 games, 46.8%. Uh, it got all the way up to 51.4% over uh, his 40-game uh, rolling average towards the end of the season, um, and his contact got all the way up to 88.8%. Uh, the hard hit rate dropped dramatically down to 30.6%, um, so well below league average, where it peaked around, close to 50%. Um, towards the middle of the year. And then again, his O swing was very, very consistent. The nice thing with the 80 game rolling average is that in his 80 game rolling average, since I had that up before, uh, his hard hit rate, even though it dips towards the end of the season over his last 80 games, it still was at 38.7. So better than um, league average. Again, I probably put this down to um, uh, Conforto getting tired down the stretch, maybe um, potentially. Um, uh, you know, this was the first season where he put up more than 600 plate appearances. He was ob obviously coming back from the so shoulder injury. So that, I think, for me, uh, is, a, is a theory that I'm likely uh, to put some credence into just because of what took place at the end of 2017 and uh, a long season uh, for Conforto, for sure. Um, as I mentioned, his average draft position right now is 109.4. Matt Chapman is actually a really good comp right here because... You know, I'd expect Conforto and Chapman to have similar batting averages um, heading into this year, but Conforto has obviously shown a lot more power. I think he has the opportunity to have a lot more counting stats, both because um, his OBP he has shown over the last two years that it, it is better than, than where um, Chapman's has been. And then his RBI total, I think, is going to be a lot higher than Chapman, too. So that's an example of two players who are going in similar positions where one, I think, has a lot more... Um, upside, a lot more ceiling. And really, I see very few instances where both play fully healthy seasons and Conforto um, uh, is worse than Chapman. Um, I just think Conforto is a better hitter for fantasy purposes. Um, and he's also given you those two stolen bases as opposed to the uh, maybe one that Chapman's given you. So uh, there's always that. But that's, I think, a good example where you have you know two guys who have uh, fairly similar kind of underlying skills maybe um at least from a plate uh, uh, uh plate discipline contact uh perspective but conforto i think um has shown the elite level of power that chapman has yet um to show at least in his first full big league season players going ahead of him justin turner joey gallo josh donaldson eloy jimenez travis shaw i probably like shaw and um turner better um uh, and and jimenez i would say uh, well, I would I might go Conforto there just because uh, he's going to play a full season if he's healthy. Whereas Eloy, we're just not sure when he's going to come up. But um, 
you know, I think both of those guys are going to be really solid when they play. Uh, I'm, I would probably, I might push Conforto up a little bit. There's some guys behind him that I also like. Matt Olson, I like a lot. Uh, D Gordon has obviously shown that he can provide a really high value when healthy and stealing. Uh, Salvador Perez, uh, for sure. I'm not going after uh, Perez uh, at that point in the draft. Tim Anderson, um, I would go over Michael Conforto there. Uh, even a guy like Edwin Encarnacion, you know, I think Conforto has an opportunity to have a much better batting average. He's on a different uh, end of the career. You know, he's going up. Encarnacion is going down. I think Conforto has the same uh, potential to hit 30-plus home runs uh, in a fully healthy season, one year removed from that injury. And I think, again, RBI and run totals. Um, I think Conforto's counting stats will probably be better than E5's. So that just is an example. I think Conforto is going about right. I might move him up a little bit. I just think that um, you know, coming back from the injury last year, what he was able to do was really, really impressive to me. And I think there was a little bit of lack of luck in the BABIP um, and in uh, the counting stats. And I think for Conforto, even though we saw a dip in some of the power, a lot of the skills actually stayed the same. And so one year uh, more removed from that shoulder injury, uh, I like for those um, power skills to maybe increase a little bit. And I think you could see him hit uh, 30 plus home runs this year, uh, for sure. So that is Michael Conforto outfielder, uh, for the New York Mets, a guy I like uh, heading into this season. The next profile is Trevor Bauer. It is actually a profile that showed up on a previous episode, episode 35, where I covered the Cleveland Indians, uh, trio of Bauer, Carrasco, and Mike Clevenger. Clevenger is actually a guy that I like the more and more uh, I look into him. But uh, I wanted to add this Bauer um, profile to the episode since it was recommended by MG Brown 83, uh, the person who left a rating and a review, um, who chose the three players showing up on uh, today's podcast. So uh, if you have already listened to episode 35, feel free to skip ahead. If not, uh, listen to Trevor Bauer, uh, a player I really, really like for a lot of reasons heading into this year. All right. First up today, we are going to talk about Trevor Bauer, uh, Cleveland Indian starting pitcher, currently going in the 10 two early mock drafts at an average draft position of 41st. He's really one of my favorite pitchers heading into next season, both because of the, um, you know, because of the ADP, I think there's a huge value there. I do expect that he'll probably push up draft boards a little bit, um, but I really think that he is he can anchor uh, a fantasy pitching staff because of the skills that he started to show last year because of the process. I'll, I'll talk a little bit about a process with Bauer, but that's probably the thing that sticks out the most with me is just his interest in learning more about pitching and, and getting better. Um, and, you, and you can see that through his relationship with dri- uh, driveline and, and in other facets. But the thing that really sticks out for me with Bauer is the volume. Now, last year he threw 171 and a third inning, but re- innings. But remember, shortly after the All-Star break, and I remember this because I traded for him uh, at the All-Star break, he took a line drive off of his leg um, and broke his, I think it was his leg or his ankle, um, something there that really knocked him out of, it knocked him out of the rotation for the rest of the year. And I believe he made one or two 
I think two appearances um, in relief uh, or to start out a game just for a couple innings uh, towards the end of the season. Now, the reason I bring that up is he almost hit that 200 innings pitched plateau, um, or not plateau, but uh, mark, uh, despite missing a significant amount of time um, through injury. So that's just one thing to um, keep in mind is that unlike a lot of pitchers who are throwing, um, who aren't going deep into innings this year, he, uh, or into games this year, he's actually a guy who, um, who goes the distance. And if you hear him talk and you hear other people talk about him, like at driveline, you know, they talk about his body being, um, the body of a starting pitcher that can really throw a lot of innings. And so that's one of the things that I really like heading into next season. So this represents three straight years with uh, around 170 innings pitched, 175 and two-thirds last year, and 173 and two-thirds back in 2016. Um, This year he won 12 games uh, out of 27 started. He did win 17 games last year. So he's obviously pitching uh, for the Indians. He is um, in probably the weakest division in baseball still. Uh, And so that is obviously... You know, a little bit of a, we need to factor that in. You know, we don't know exactly who he's going to be pitching against, but chances are that the competition will be a little less stiff than maybe um, in other divisions. Uh, K-minus walk rate jumped up to 23% last year, which is a terrific number. The major league average is 13.8%. He was at 18.1% last year and then 12% the year before. His K rate was up above 30 at 31.2%. Now, one thing about the K minus walk rate that I want you to note is that that 23%, that is actually higher than Corey Kluber's strikeout minus walk rate, which was at 22.3%. And we don't, we forget this because Bauer got injured, but Bauer at the time was uh, out pitching Kluber. And if Bauer were able to hit the innings um, number that Kluber hit, uh, this year definitely would have been the more valuable pitcher. And so that's one thing to consider moving forward. I actually like Bauer more than uh, Kluber. Uh, moving forward, we don't have the same track record. Uh, so there's, there's maybe a little bit uh, more risk, but I think the upside is tremendous. Strikeouts, 219 in those 171.3.1 uh, innings. Uh, K, minus, uh, K per nine of 11.5. Uh, which is terrific, and that swinging strike rate also very high at 13.3%. His uh, last year, that was up from 9.1% the year before and 8.9% uh, two years ago. Oh, contact down at 46.4%, which is really huge. And his Z contact is at 85.4% uh, this past year, which is down from 88.1% uh, in 2017. And one thing I'll get to as a, when we go through the rolling average graph is, graph is how that number plummeted as the year progressed. Contact rate, 70.5% last year, uh, 77% is league average. He was above league average the two previous years. Again, he made huge strides last year, and we'll get to that with his pitch mix. But one of the things he focused on last offseason was um, perfecting his uh, slider. Now, he essentially looked at the best sliders in the game and what made them the best sliders in the game. I think Corey Kluber's was one of them. I think there was maybe one more. Um, and, and he went through a pitch design process uh, with driveline um, to actually develop that slider into just a, a really filthy pitch. 
and he's working on his his change up it seems like just based on tracking him on social media it looks like he is working on his change up this year so that is pretty exciting stuff so overall the strikeout stuff is just off the charts uh, for Bauer he is an elite strikeout pitcher assuming that he's able to maintain the skills that he had last year which you know I think given the process that he uh, pursues in the offseason and just the process overall I feel good um, about that and again remember the volume is going to be a huge an added benefit right we can't guarantee that he's going to be healthy but last year it was a freak accident and I really like the fact that he monitors his um, his body so much like it's very clear in listening to him listening to driveline that he's very in tune with his body and he knows what his body can handle and I like that a lot because we worry so much about arm injuries with pitchers that it's not saying that it won't happen to him but um, for me I trust it uh, just a little bit more uh, 299 uh, walks per nine, 8.1% walk rate. That's around a little bit lower than league average. He's been right around that mark for the past few years. But his first pitch strike rate actually increased dramatically last year, up to 64%, well above league average. That's up from 59, 56.7% the year before. So huge leaps there. His O swing was at 31.8% about 1% above league average, way up from the 25% of the last two years, which is really good. And as a result, he did not have to throw the ball in the zone as much. A career low of, or at least a three-year low of 42%, down from 44.4 and 47.1%. So he's throwing the ball less in the zone, but he doesn't have to because he's getting folks to chase outside the zone, and he's also getting ahead of hitters uh, with that 64% first pitch strike. His whip was at 1.1% down from 1.37 and 1.3 in the two previous years. Now, one of the major reasons for this was that his BABIP uh, was, well, the strikeouts is one uh, reason why that whip went uh, uh, went uh, went down because uh, he's getting a lot of guys out through strikeouts, so less balls in play. But also his BABIP was down. Last year it was 336, which actually looked earned with a 332 expected BABIP. But he is down at 301 with a 295 expected BABIP. So, the expected BABIP actually supports that improvement, and that's still above league average. So he's not relying on insanely low BABIPs uh, to fuel that whip, which I think is really nice. And with the walk percentage around league average and some signs pointing to that being, you know, it probably should be better than league average, to be honest with you. That zone percentage is just slightly down from from league average, but uh, that O swing is above it, and that first pitch strike is well above. So you may even be able to see a little bit... Um, a little bit of a dip in that walk rate, which would be great um, as well. Now, uh, soft hit rate, 15.8%, so less uh, the lower than league average. Hard hit uh, rate of 36.2%, a little above league average. You know That might explain why the BABIP is, is still above league average, um, despite the improvements. Ground ball rate at 44.1%. And when we look at his, um, when we look at his X stats uh, profile, uh, batted ball profile, uh, which breaks it down into six categories. That's dribblers, which are really weak hit ground balls, um, ground balls, which are harder hit ground balls, line drives, which are line drives, hard drives, which are kind of your high line drives, low fly balls that tend to go for extra base hits, your best quality pitch, uh, fly balls, which are kind of um, fly balls, which occasionally go for extra base hits, but oftentimes are outs, and then pop-ups, which are just essentially batted strikeouts. Um, they all go there. When we look at that batted ball profile, some really good signs is his dribbler percentage. 
So that weak ground ball percentage went up 3% at the same time that his pop-up rate, those automatic outs, went up by 5.5%. So that's really crucial because those dribblers and those pop-ups are, are the two best types of contact you can generate, and he went up in both of those last year. Now, those are also the most um, uh, stable of the types of batted balls. Drive, uh, dribblers, high dr hard drives, and um, pop-ups are the most stable of those batted balls. So when you see increases or decreases there, you're more likely to believe them. And his hard drive rate that he gave up was down significantly from 12.2% last year to 8.8% this year, which is 2% below league average, which helps explain why his home run rate went down. So really good movement on Bauer's um, batted ball profile there. When we get into his uh, WOBA and expected WOBA, I'll just focus on the expected WOBA. And this is again from XStats, 329, 322 to 269. So again, some really strong growth there as a result of the bump in strikeouts and the improved uh, batted ball profile. His ERA of 226, probably a little bit lower um, than I would expect for next year, but I do think um, having a sub-3 ERA is well within reach for Bauer. His FIP was 244, XFIP 314, Sierra 321. So you'll notice like XFIP, which um, normalizes home run per fly ball rate, has him slightly over three. But one of the things that I think is, is really nice about Bauer last year is that hard drive rate going down. And he had a very low home runs um, allowed last year of only nine. Now, he did give up 11.8 expected home runs, but those numbers are way down from 20 and 25 the two previous years for home runs and 22.5 and 23.7 expected home runs. So the expected home runs, instead of having him at a home run per fly ball rate of 6.3%, which is insanely low, right? That's half of league average of 12.7%. It had an expected home run per fly ball of 8.3%, which is still uh, terrific. So again, that batted ball quality was excellent. Uh, was was excellent. And again, like um, where he improved were in some of the more um, stable batted ball categories. So I do have hope that those will uh, those improvements will, if they don't stick completely, that it is moving in that direction. Now his strand rate was high at 79.3%. And so that's just one thing to consider. Again, with the K rate going up, that's not necessarily a surprise for me, but it is above last year's 76.7%. Um, not wholly unsustainable, unsustainable, but you may see some regression there. His home runs per nine was 0.47, 1.16 is league average, but his expected home runs per nine was only 0.62, so about half of league average. So again, that is really, really, um, that's really, really good to see. When we get into his barrels, again, 4.5% two years ago, 5.1% last year, 2.7% this year. Tremendous. Really great um, number there. That 2.7% is excellent. Overall barrels given up 33, 38, and then 19 last year. His average home run distance has remained right, right around 396, uh, league average. 397, 396, 395. So he's not giving up monster shots um, either, which is really uh, refreshing for him. Now, where um, it's really exciting to see uh, Bauer's growth. I mentioned his, um, you know, some of the pitches that he worked on. So last year, his the velocity on his fastball increased 94.6% or 94.6 miles per hour 
on that four seam up from 94 um, the previous year. When we look at the actual results from each of his pitches, um, his four seam was slightly better than last year, 125 WRC plus compared to 134 last year. His WOBA is still not very good, 344. So that fastball is still a little bit problematic. He went to a cutter a lot more um, uh, last year, or not like a, a ton more, but it was a it was a better pitch for him last year compared to 2017, 124 WRC plus uh, compared to a 172 last year. Now, where it gets really exciting, his curveball slider and changeup are both. Um, uh, all three of those pitches have excellent WRC pluses. So again, 100 being league average for a batter, 54 on his curveball, negative eight on his slider. So truly elite, a six on that changeup. Again, really elite. And when you look at the Wobas against on those pitches, you're looking at a 234 for the curveball, a 139 for the slider, a 160 for the changeup. So. So Bauer's faster stuff, right? His four seam, his cutter, um, that sinker, those pitches are the ones that he struggles more with, although they're not a ton worse than, um, uh, they're actually better than league average when we get to the, to the positive pitch values. But he has just some really elite uh, breaking and off-speed pitches. Now let's take a look at those um, pitch values. He has five pitches with positive uh, pitch values. So his four seam fastball, uh, 12.5 positive pitch value overall, 1.2 per 100 thrown with a 7.5% swinging strike rate, 21.7% O swing. So not, you know, crazy good there, but it was a positive pitch for him and the pitch that he threw the most. That curveball four, uh, four positive pitch value overall for the season, uh, 0.5 positive pitch value per um, 100 thrown. Uh, which is pretty in line with where he was in previous seasons. Now, the slider is awesome. Uh, the slider was 11.2 overall positive pitch value, 2.8 positive pitch value per 100 thrown. Uh, last year is at 1.2 and then 2 overall, so he didn't throw it very much last year, only 175. He threw a 402 of the pitch this year. 21.1% swinging strike rate on that pitch, 45.6%. Uh, uh, o swing, so a truly elite knockout pitch there for Bauer. Curveball also, I forgot to mention this, 15.6% swing strike rate, 31.5% O swing, so a pretty solid um, pitch uh, overall right there. Um, the one thing about the curveball is it does generate a 60% uh, ground ball rate, so he, it may not get as many swings and, and misses, but it's not necessarily generating the dangerous contact uh, that we are worried about. His cutter was a 1.8 positive pitch value, 0.6 per 100 pitches thrown, 21.9% swinging strike rate, 43.5% uh, O swing, another knockout pitch uh, for him, uh, and that's up from 10.5% swinging strike rate. So he doubled the swinging strike rate and, and nearly doubled the O swing from, um, uh, from last year, or actually from two years ago. Uh, but up uh, 6% from last year. So still really improving that pitch. His changeup, 3.8 positive pitch value, 1.9 per 100 thrown, 15.2% swinging strike rate, 25.9% O swing. So it doesn't get a ton of chases, 
uh, but does get a decent amount of swinging strikes there. His sinker is the only pitch that has a negative pitch value, negative 2.9 or negative 1.9 per 100 thrown, but it's also the pitch that he throws the least. Um, so, you know, only about 5% of his pitches, if I remember correctly, which is obviously really good news. So the repertoire is diverse. Uh, he has a number of options that he can go to with his swinging strike rate. And if you do have time, I would actually, uh, check, uh, Trevor Bauer out on Twitter. He, um, there's this MLB network, um, interview that he gave that was just awesome. It was about, um, tunneling and it was about pitching overall and he just talked about how his goal as a pitcher is to um, delay for as much as possible uh, um, the batter or give the batter the least amount of time to decide whether he's going to swing by tunneling. Essentially, you know, throwing, and it was just cool how he talked about it. He talked about throwing the pitch in the same location in the zone, starting it out in the middle of the zone, every single one of his pitches. And with the slider, it starts in the middle of the zone, and then it breaks um, uh, to the batter's right. Uh, his cutter breaks to the batter's right, but it stays inside the zone, whereas his slider goes outside the zone. Uh, his changeup starts in the middle of the zone, breaks outside of the zone uh, to the batter's left. Um, his sinker starts in the middle of the plate, breaks to the, uh, breaks to the batter's left, just like the changeup but stays in the zone. So he just talked about like how essentially he's trying to throw the pitch in the same place. And his goal to ha- is to have as many pitches as possible that go in different directions to hit the right spots in the zone. It's just a really fascinating break breakdown. And, you know, while it's just him talking about the pitch, it just made me um, be, be into him even more uh, going into next year when you combine kind of the value um, of where he's going at and what his production could be. I just think he's, he's a league winner. Uh, if I'm honest with you, I'm going to be targeting him as my second pitcher off the board. Like if I can get a top, you know, uh, another top pitcher in the second round and maybe snag him in the third round coming back, I will be uh, absolutely elated. I mean, imagine going early in the round, going trout, you know, bets, um, yeah, or Jose Ramirez and then coming around the other side, you know, and getting Bauer in the third round and then in the second round, maybe getting, you know, another uh, elite starter. I think that would be an incredible way uh, to start off a team. Anyways, getting over to Bauer's 10-game rolling averages, the, what I love about his 10-game rolling averages is his Z contact is going down. So it, it finished the year around league average, but over his last 10 games, it was at 81.5%. And there's just a a continuous trend line down. And so that's well below league average. And a really good sign of an elite pitcher is a pitcher who can throw the ball in the zone and still get whiffs. His first pitch strike, uh, 63.8% over his last 10. Since about uh, early June, it hovered in the mid-60s, which is terrific to see. His zone percentage finished the year in his last 10 games around 42%. So similar to his year uh, overall, and again, with the O swing uh, being up, it actually went down to around 29.5%, so below league average um, over his last 10 games. So that's one thing to consider. But he did have it in the low um, threes. And so hopefully with another year of that arsenal under his belt, maybe with an improvement in that changeup, making it a pitch that um, that folks need to change uh, chase outside the zone um, and maybe getting a few more whiffs on it. Ah, the sky's the limit on that. 
And then his swinging strike rate stayed very high throughout the year after uh, slowing at the beginning from uh, it eclipsed uh, 13% on May 27th, um, dipped slightly below that in August, but finished the year at 13.7%. Uh, that is a borderline elite level there. It's not like your, you know, Chris Sale, Max Scherzer, um, Jacob deGrom, uh, but it's, it's, it's way up there. Um, and so that is uh, super exciting to see. Um, when we take a look at how his pitch mix uh, developed over the course um, of the year, uh, the real change um, uh, in his approach uh, was that his that he started throwing um, his slider a little bit less as the year progressed. Um, he started throwing his cutter more. Again, it seems like the slider and the cutter are similar pitches. It's just the amount of break um, is, is obviously slightly different. And so, um, both of those pitches were elite pitches. Um, so that is something, uh, to keep in mind. His changeup percentage also increased, um, as the year progressed and he really brought down his curveball. That used to be his signature pitch. He used to throw it over 30% of the time. It was down to 22%. And then he also started throwing that four seam fastball more. So nothing, nothing major there except for the dip in the curveball, which is actually a good sign and why probably his swinging strike rate boosted up is the fact that, um, you know, that curveball wasn't generating a ton of whiffs. It's good at 15.4%, I believe, if I remember correctly. Um, but uh, that one is, is, uh, is from a breaking and off-speed pitch, not one of his better swinging strike pitches. And so that is a, is a good sign. And we saw the cutter increase, um, which... You know, kind of compensated for that as well as as well as the changeup. So, in summary, with Bauer, um, I am actually going. I would rank Bauer above Corey Kluber heading into next year. Um, I really think that Bauer showed us something special last year, and if it weren't for the injury, I think we'd be talking about him in that really top notch pitcher. I think he would have been maybe finished second in the Cy Young. Um, you know, if not third behind Verlander, uh, because of the sheer volume of innings that I think he would have thrown. I think he would have been in the 220-230 range um, if he had been healthy for um, uh, the whole season. So when we think about pitchers, we're thinking about Scherzer, we're thinking about Sale, we're thinking about DeGrom, right? I have I would have him behind those guys, but in front of Kluber, uh, in front of, of Kershaw, uh, I would have him um, in front of Nola. Um, I just think, um, you know, I haven't fully analyzed Nola, so I've got to like kind of break that down a little bit. But I think I would have him in front of Nola probably next year, just because if I'm remembering correctly, the swinging strike rate and the skills um, were better. But uh, I'll, I'll press pause on the head of Nola thing because I haven't really delved into him. I owned Luis Severino a lot of places last year, and so I definitely think that I would, I would most definitely have Bauer um, ahead of Severino. Uh, Verlander, I, I think I have him around Verlander. Um, uh, around Verlander and probably Snell, to be honest with you. Kind of the Verlander, Snell, Cole. I need to dig deeper into those guys and figure out where exactly they are, but just going off of what I have, I would have Bauer as, um, you know, potent, as a top 10 pitcher uh, for sure, um, if not in that top five range. Uh, because I do think that he has the skills to support what he's doing. I absolutely love the process, like love, love, love the process. And I think that that is so um, critical. And then I love the volume too. So 
Trevor Bauer is going to be a guy that I own a lot of places heading into next year. I think you should own him in a lot of places um, too on your teams. As your number two pitcher, um, if you're really trying to push pitching out of the gate, um, he, I think he's a solid number one who can carry a staff uh, with that volume and skills. So I absolutely love him. So he's my, he's my top pitcher on the Cleveland Indians, and he's definitely a guy that I'm going to take ahead of Carrasco and ahead of Clevenger. This segment is another uh, strategy segment, and this one comes from uh, Kevin Bitter, at Kevin Bitter on Twitter, uh, who left a very kind uh, rating and review uh, for the podcast. And so instead of uh, choosing three players to profile, he actually uh, had a topic that he wanted me to cover. So I wanted to cover that here. He said, uh, actually, I was thinking about doing an NFBC league this year for the first time. I was wondering if maybe you could do a strategy show for leagues that don't allow trades. So um, I'm sure you could do a full show uh, to cover this topic. There is a ton of uh, minutia that you could get into uh, to talk about the strategy in non-trading leagues. Uh, I will do my best to cover some of the overarching themes, I think, that for me um, have been helpful or that I've learned um, from listening to a lot of other uh, folks uh, who are experts um, in the NFBC um, and other non-trading leagues um, in the past. And so if I uh, fail to mention those or if you have other thoughts on uh, the strategies that I share, please do uh, reach out, uh, start a conversation over Twitter, um, and I'll make sure to bring uh, uh, folks like Kevin um, into, the, into the conversation so we can learn as much as we can about uh, how to maximize uh, our teams in this type of a format. So non-trade leagues are actually leagues that I really, I really enjoy. It puts a lot more emphasis on the draft, uh, obviously, but I think if you're somebody like me who puts a lot of time and energy and effort into uh, player analysis, both before the season and during the season, I think uh, putting a lot of emphasis and stake in the draft um, is important. So you know, I think compared to your traditional league where trades are allowed, the draft is obviously more important. But I think in-season management still plays a really, really critical role. So in going through this, I'll talk generally about non-trade leagues and then where I know, um, you know, or have a sense of what, how NB, NFBC specifically uh, might address certain issues. I will, I will weigh in there. So I think the first thing, and this is actually... I think overall, for me, one of the most important things about uh, any draft, whether it's non-trade or uh, a trade league, um, is drafting a balanced team. And so what I mean by that is really, you know, in, in, a, in some leagues, um, well, so taking a step back, you don't necessarily have to draft a balanced team if you are drafting in a single, like a home league where there's no trading allowed. Um, but in, in, for instance, um, uh, a, a league where there's an overall prize, like the NFBC, for instance, like the NFBC main event or the Roto Online Championship, they all have um, overall prizes. And you don't have to go for the overall prizes. You can try to win um, your just your league by implementing a strategy where maybe you punt a certain category and you still try to win. But a lot of times the gameplay in NFBC, the, the competition is so high that I don't think you'd be able to get away um, with that um, uh, as frequently unless it really works out um, you know exactly how how you want it to because a lot of times there are very 
very good teams. Uh, in the main event, I'm not sure exactly how many leagues, but I think there was only 37 or so leagues last year, like 500 teams or something like that. And everybody who's going into that is investing $1,600. So for the vast majority of people, you know, that's a sizable investment and they're paying really close attention. They're following a lot. And so I think with there's an overall prize, the balanced team becomes even more important, right? Because you're not going to be in competition for an overall prize um, if you um, if you are not uh, at least, um, you know, uh, 70th, 80th percentile in a, in in even one category, right? You may um, compete uh, up there as one of the top, uh, you know, 50 teams, top 25 teams, but you really are probably not going to be able to be in the running for the overall competition if that's the case. And a lot of like with MNFBC, I'm not sure the exact breakdown, but, you know, the winner, uh, I think it's $125,000 to the winner of the main event. That is some significant money. So you don't really want to skip out on going after the overall prize when winning your league gets you six thousand dollars um or six thousand five hundred something like that i can't remember exactly what it is so um obviously that is a lot of money and you should be going for that but giving up the overall prize during your draft strategy by punting a category um, is not uh, a good idea so a balanced team is really important particularly in that format for me i always like to use um, a balanced team. Uh, part of the enjoyment of the game for me is trying to figure out how I can balance all of these categories when there are so few players that can contribute to all of them, or you know you have a lot of guys who will hit for power but won't steal bases. So how do you find that optimal balance? For me, there's a lot of fun in doing that. So a balanced team would be something that I would do. One thing that I did last year in my non-trade leagues and just overall for all of my leagues is I don't do my own projections. And if you do your own projections or you have projection slash draft software, definitely use that. But what I did is I essentially took what the the, fit, the average 15th spot um, in each category was, or like the, the number one finisher in that spot. What was the average for my league? So like, you know, if I was in, um, uh, you know, uh, a home league that I had like five years of data from or something like that, look at what, got first place in each one of those categories. And I actually put those as goals um, just for what I wanted to get. Now, going in, I knew that I was not going to reach those goals, but I wanted to obviously get as close to those goals as possible. Now, standard gains points is a type of, um, uh, of uh, you know projection system or a type of player valuation that essentially looks at how many uh, standing gains points each player's stat contributions would get you. Um, for me, I, I kind of stuck a little bit more basic. So I kind of had at the bottom what I wanted, what my goal was, was to be the, to reach that number one um, position for each one of the categories. And then as I filled in my roster, I would add the steamer projection for that player. And in your case, if you're using a different projection system or your own projection system, use your projection system and then see where you are as the draft unfolds. And I only do that because what I want to make sure is that I am uh, being balanced. And Steamer is, is, is notorious, and most projection systems are very conservative by nature. And so I know that with a lot of the players I'm drafting, I'm drafting them because I expect them to do better than maybe the projection suggests. And so I do think that I'm going to do better than the projection uh, that I get You know, when I add all the totals up. But it gives me a good sense of how the balance of my team is doing and where I may be weak or 
um, too strong or not that you can necessarily be too strong, but where I might be weak as the draft goes later on. And so that will factor into my decision making as I go. And so that's one one small little tactic that I use to try to make sure that I keep uh, a balanced team in my draft. Uh, An alternative would be to know that you're weak in a particular spots. And then uh, make sure that you're being uh, aggressive on the waiver wire to go after players who you think can contribute to whatever that weakness is. Now, in any given season, injuries are going to happen. Things are going to happen where you develop a weakness in your team and you can respond accordingly. And so one of the reasons why I like having that balanced approach is that, um, and I've used this analogy before, but it's kind of like a balanced portfolio uh, for stocks, right? If you invest all of your stocks in one uh, thing, you know, and that thing tanks, then you lose all your money. But if you uh, if you take a mutual fund approach and you invest in a variety of different stocks, one may crash, one may do really well, um, and it helps uh, make sure that there's not too many uh, major crashes or um, or major gains too, right? Um, although hopefully you're getting major gains. So that's that's my analogy. I'm sticking to it. Uh, but in this scenario, you can kind of, um, where there are injuries that might hurt you, you can find guys on the waiver wire who might be able to replicate at least some of those statistics. So a good example would be, like, if you go after a guy like um, uh, like a Malik Smith, for instance, or like just a, a speedster um, to provide a really huge percentage of your stolen bases, um, not saying you shouldn't go for those guys, but if you go for somebody like that, if, if that player gets injured, then you have this huge hole in your team if you don't fill your team with other guys who can steal bases, right? 20 here, 10 here, uh, you know, 15 here. Um, I try to get as, as balanced of profiles as I can in my players so I don't lose out um, on those guys. Like a good example in TGFBI last year. Now, obviously, this was a trade league. But I had uh, Jose Altuve, who didn't do as well as I thought he was going to do. I also had Elvis Andrews, who got injured and didn't do as well as he was able to do. But I was still uh, able to, um, uh, you know, fill in uh, some of those um, gaps that I saw by getting players um, off of the waiver wire. Um, Guys like uh, Adalberto Mondesi, you know, who came up. He doesn't come up every year, um, but, you know, you you can kind of look where those injuries happen or the lack of performance happens and you need to address them, you can address those by being selectively aggressive on the waiver wire. And that's one thing that I would say is, um, you know, there are very few players that come on the waiver wire um, in every given year where you really feel like they can make a huge difference on your team. And so when those players come on the waiver wire, you really do need to be aggressive, especially if that aligns with where you may be weak um, in your team as it develops. And so the waiver wire fab bidding becomes even more important in leagues where you don't have, um, where you don't have, where you don't have trading, right? That's the way that you fill, um, you fill the uh, weaknesses in your team that develop or that you draft to. And so just being aggressive, selectively aggressive is what I would call it on the waiver wire, especially for those guys that you know, you need, um, to fill weaknesses, uh, in your team. Um, and then, Know also, especially if you're playing in like the NFBC or just highly competitive leagues, that the fab bidding is very, very competitive. Uh, And if you like a guy, there's probably somebody else in your league who likes somebody. And so, um, you know, be aggressive, Uh, be aggressive in those bids and go after the players that you really, really want. The one thing I'd say uh, going back to drafting is uh, in highly competitive leagues like the NBC, 
uh, get your guys. And what I mean by this is if you have players that you really, really like, use ADP as a guide um, or like as a loose guide, but get your players because um, in competitive leagues, uh, ADP is a lot less valuable because people have done the research. They know where the ADP and the market weaknesses are in terms of where folks are going and they're going to go get them. So chances are, if you think a player um, is uh, much better than their ADP suggests, somebody else does too. And so if you wait and don't get your guy, you don't get them for the rest of the season because there's no trades. Unless they're so bad, they end up on the waiver wire or they're injured. And in that case, right, you're not going to want them anyway. So go out and get your guys. Don't be afraid to jump ADP to get players that you feel like are necessary to make your team the team that you want to be, to have fun, um, and to build the type of balanced team um, that you want to have. Um, so, you know, top three things I would say is the, is the balanced team approach and use whatever tactics help you get there. Um, get your guys. Don't be afraid to go ahead of the ADP to get players that you like, that you think um, the market is wrong on. And by market, I just mean ADP. And then being selectively aggressive on the waiver wire is really, really important. Go after the players that fill the needs that your team has. And when impact players come on the market, uh, go after them. Uh, right and go after them uh, aggressively um one thing specifically about nfbc and in a lot of really competitive leagues is that pitching does go early so a lot of times i'll share the adp from the nfbc um, and a lot of times adp in your home leagues or in other leagues won't necessarily track towards that but um, nfbc uh, starting pitching goes very very early and so that's just something to be aware of if you're doing an nfbc league um, if you're doing a non-trade league is for me, especially this year where you have, I think, a lot of really strong guys at the top um, who I don't see a lot of weaknesses outside of Clayton Kershaw and Luis Severino. Um, and then there's a lot of kind of similar guys in the middle and back end and maybe even a lot of value towards the end of the draft. Um, you know, I think in particular this year, I think pitching is going to move uh, is going to move up. And so be aware of that and be prepared in an NFBC league or in a highly competitive league um, to go um, after your pitching. Another thing is to be, uh, is to understand um, the rules uh, and what players are available. So especially in deep leagues, 15 team leagues, um, you know, uh, especially around prospects, different leagues have different approaches to players. So like in TGFBI, uh, the great fantasy baseball invitational, there was trading, but uh, in the waiver wire, the player pool was huge. And so a lot of the prospects were going well before they were actually called up. Um, and so that was the case in, um, in, uh, uh, on fan tracks with TGFBI. Uh, in the NFBC, um, you know, players who aren't drafted, um, uh, who are not in Major League Baseball, they don't become available to be picked up on the waiver wire uh, until I think it's if they play like, um, the Friday before that, the Friday before, before Friday of the upcoming fab period, then they'll show up in the player pool. And so, you know, uh, that's when you'll see a ton of bidding wars, right? Bidding wars, right? So when Juan Soto, Juan Soto was picked up before he was actually, um, called up in some leagues in fan tracks, but in the NFBC, unless you drafted Juan Soto, uh, in the draft, um, he was not available to you until he was available to every single uh, player um, in the NFBC. And so then you would see really, really 
um, hyper-aggressive bidding wars on those types of players. And so that's something that's really important to be aware of. So be aware of the player pool. Be aware of the rules regarding FAB and the waiver wire for your particular uh, non-trade league. Um, I would also say squeeze all the value that you can. Because you can't trade, um, You know, one thing that you can do is really... And I think you're going to see more and more of this necessary to compete in fantasy baseball leagues because it's happening in real baseball is is uh, identify where there are certain matchups that are particularly strong or where there are platoon situations that are particularly helpful um, and and make moves in your lineup according to that. So what I mean about that is, for instance, I'll look a week or two weeks in advance at um, like. ESPN's Fantasy Forecaster or uh, Fantasy Pro's Weekly Planner to see which hitters are going to have really good matchups, right? So maybe there's a hitter who's, who mashes righties but gets platooned against lefties. Look out a couple weeks to see is there a period of, you know, for instance, if you play like midweek changes, so uh, changes for Friday lineups, you know, is there uh, Monday through Thursday, is there a guy who mashes righties who's facing four righties? Right. Um, uh, That's a situation where you can take advantage of platoon splits to increase your value. Look ahead. Who are the weakest um, catcher and or teams against the run um, against for stolen bases? Who are they playing? Can you pick up the speedsters on those teams or at least pick up guys uh, who have the potential for stolen bases um, against those teams in those situations um, to maybe squeeze out a couple uh, uh, stolen bases? extra if that's something that you need, especially later on in the season as you identify where your weaknesses are. You really do need to squeeze out as much of you as you can of the value in your team and the value that's on the waiver wire um, to be able to compete in these really competitive leagues where you don't have trades to be able to fill in um, uh, your roster spot. So definitely look at all the resources that are available to you to uh, squeeze out that extra value that you have potentially in your lineup. And then the last thing that I'll say, and I'm sure I've missed uh, plenty in this, I just wanted to go you know, a little into detail on some of the things that I'm thinking about when I'm in non-trade leagues, is definitely follow folks on Twitter who play um, in the NFBC, who share a lot of information about strategy or about player analysis. Um, those players, a lot of them will also do a lot of drafts. They'll do a lot of um, you know, draft and holds, for instance, and they'll share the draft results or their draft results and get a sense of who they're drafting in their teams or where players are going in different rounds or look for little hints at strategy that they're providing. Um, and so some of the, go- uh, the folks who are um, really great to follow uh, who play in the NFBC and are very competitive um, players uh, in that are, um, for instance, Vlad Sedler, um, is, is, uh, is a really great follow at Rotogut, uh, Rob Silver, um, who has the launch angle podcast, uh, which is a really great podcast. I would definitely listen to that. Uh, he's at Rob Silver. Um, uh, there is, um, Matt Bodica, um, who is at CTM baseball, I believe, um, who is always providing really great updates and does a lot of NFBC work. Um, Derek Van Riper uh, from Rotowire is another guy um, who is really great. He talks a lot about that strategy on the Rotowire um, podcast. He is at Derek Van Riper, D E R E K uh, Van Riper. You probably know these folks if you are um, listening to my podcast. You probably follow them because they have great podcasts as well. Um, he talks about it a lot. Uh, Jeff Erickson. 
um, also talks about uh, the NFBC a lot. Um, uh, Jeff underscore Erickson. Um, there are other, there's plenty of other folks. Uh, Scott Jenstead is another one uh, at Scott, J-E-N-S-T-A-D. I mean, there's a number of folks. I'm missing out on a bunch of them. I'm just going with the ones who are kind of coming at the top of my head. Uh, follow these guys because they do share a lot, both in their podcasts, in the articles that they write, um, uh, and just via Twitter about what, what their strategy or approach might be in NFBC and other non-trade leagues. So uh, those would be uh, kind of my key points to non-trade leagues. Again, just to go over those, um, especially when you have an overall prize uh, draft a balanced team, you're not going to be able to turn that surplus that you have uh, into um, uh, into uh, something of value that you can fill a weakness in. So draft a balanced team. You can use the tactic that I mentioned. Uh, you can create your own projections, whatever it is. Make sure you're tracking along in the draft to see how both you um, and under other teams are also doing um, when it comes to building their teams because that'll give you insight into where they are looking to draft or what players they might be looking at at the same time that you're looking um, at players to fill uh, different needs. So draft that balanced team. Go and get your guys. You're not going to have another opportunity to get the players in most instances in non-trade leagues that you really, really want. So don't be disappointed at the end of the draft because you tried to get a player at ADP instead of hopping one round uh, to draft him. Go and get your guys. Be selectively aggressive on the wire. Be particularly aggressive if there are players that can fill uh, a need uh, that you have on the team that you have because you only get so many chances on the waiver wire uh, to bring in really valuable contributors in, in many categories. Um, so definitely be selectively aggressive there. Uh, pitching goes early in a lot of the non-trade, highly competitive leagues like the NFBC. Understand the rules and, the, and when players become available so you can plan your bidding uh, accordingly, uh, squeeze all of the value that you can. So, uh, look out into the future to see, uh, who might have a nice week, a nice two weeks, or who might have a nice week in two weeks. Uh, so use those resources that are, are out there like the ESPN fantasy forecaster. I like that a lot because, um, uh, Tristan Cockroft puts that together and he also, uh, he provides a number scale one to 10 with 10 being a very good, the best matchup and one being a terrible matchup, uh, for, um, hitting overall, left-handed hitting, right-handed hitting, uh, and stolen bases. And so the stolen bases in particular, I find really, really helpful in identifying folks who might be able to bring in some additional stolen bases. And even if you don't use it to pick up a guy on the waiver wire, you can use it on your existing lineup uh, to maximize value. So make sure you're using all the resources at your disposal. Do a ton of research. Do a ton of, uh, like I'm always looking at over the last 30 days, over the last 15 days, who are the guys whose skills are up or down. See if you can catch a guy when he's catching fire or when his skills are particularly hot. Um, so try to squeeze out as much of the value as you can because you're going to need to do that in non-trade leagues because your competition, especially in in um, in uh, places like the NFBC, is going to be very, very high. And then follow um, and learn from the folks who are best at what they do. And so some of the guys that I mentioned uh, before, some of those folks, um, always be looking um, to expand the network of folks that you're following um, on Twitter, uh, to be um, learning from the folks who are already doing a really great job at uh, winning uh, in non-trade leagues. So that would be 
some of my advice for non-trade leagues, definitely hit me up on Twitter if you have thoughts on what I said or if you have additions as well. We want to get Kevin and others as much information as we can, as many options for strategies or tactics to take that can help them uh, do as well as possible in non-trade leagues, which I find to be a lot of fun and actually more fun than trade leagues because um, you know you, you don't have to worry about that really terrible trade that that one guy in your league always does that makes it more difficult for you to win. That's going to wrap us up for episode 50, the big 5-0. We have, uh, we, have, we have moved out of our midlife crisis and we are now getting close, uh, closer to retirement. So unfortunately for all of you after episode 65 I will be retiring the Batflip Crazy podcast just kidding uh, I will go on well beyond 65 because I can't help myself I enjoy it uh, far too much I enjoy this fantasy baseball uh, love it I hope uh, that you found the profiles on Matt Chapman Michael Conforto uh, Trevor Bauer and uh, the, the segment on non-trade league strategy helpful uh, again, as always, hit me up on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy to let me know uh, what you thought, what you agree on, what you disagree on. I always love engaging there. Um, again, really, really appreciate everybody who listens to the show. I know I mention it every single show, but it cannot be stated enough. Um, you know, I, I do the podcast because I love it, because I'm passionate about fantasy baseball. I want to share what I know. Um, there are a lot of people who know um, more than I do, um, who have different thoughts on fantasy baseball than I do, and engaging with folks and having people willing to listen to me ramble on about the players and about my thoughts. Um, I just really, really appreciate it. So thank you so much um, for listening. Uh, hit me up on Twitter, as I've mentioned, at BatFlipCrazy. Uh, if you like what you're hearing, leave a, leave a rating and a review. That's the best way for us to spread the message about the work uh, about the podcast and the fact that some folks um, seem to like it. Hit that like button, hit the retweet when I, when I share it. I try not to share it too much uh, to clog your, um, your Twitter feeds, um, but if you could clog other people's Twitter feeds, I think it uh, comes with a little bit more, uh, more legitimacy if it comes from other people <laughs> as opposed to me uh, saying they like it. So hit that like, hit that retweet button, uh, leave a rating and a review. Thank you so much um, for listening. Best of luck with your fantasy baseball research. Happy New Year. I totally forgot to wish everybody a Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I hope it started off well. I hope it goes really well for you. Baseball research. Um, definitely take care of one another. Sometimes we're a little bit more introspective in these times and we think about how we can be uh, better people um, in the new year. And so if you're doing that, I wish you uh, the best of luck with that. And I think the one thing that we can do uh, to make that make the world a better place for folks is just to be kind to one another. So that's why I leave each episode with that, is that if, if you do one thing uh, today, uh, kindness is, um, it can be difficult sometimes, but uh, kindness is something that I think um, uh, is wonderful. And so definitely be kind to one another. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll be back soon with episode 51. Thanks. Thanks.